Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you remember the third chapter, they were building the walls around the city of Jerusalem, putting the gates upon their hinges, restoring and repairing. And now in chapter 4, we find that there was opposition. We're going to talk about in the first several verses perseverance in the midst of opposition and how the people handle it. So we begin reading with uh, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, he was angry, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish that are which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. He had some conspirators as well. These are the enemies of God's people. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Now then, that is the nature of their opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah, and, uh, and uh, the Ammonite. We find that uh, there were three of them in the previous chapter. Uh, in the second chapter, we have in verse 19, the second chapter, there was Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it. They lashed him to scorn. So sometimes that... Uh, Opposition is twofold, sometimes it's threefold. But at any rate, how do we persevere in the midst of opposition? This is opposition from without, by the way, on the outside. These were the skeptics. They sneered at their at the Jews. They sneered at their character, first of all. What do these feeble Jews? They sneered at their motive. They sneered at their enthusiasm. They said, will they make an end in a day? Are they going to revive this out of the heaps of rubbish? Are they going to really restore everything in a day's time? as if God would miraculously restore it for them. So they were making fun of it. They made fun of the task that they attempted. They sneered at that. They made work, uh, fun of the work, that stone wall that they built. Notice all these details in verse 2. What do these feeble Jews, first of all? That's their character. They're feeble. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Are they so great a builders they're going to get in here and just put it all up in one day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? The task that they attempt, are they able to do that? The rubbish which are burned? In the last part of verse 3, even that which they build. If they do build anything. If a fox go up. Can you imagine? A fox. Usually a fox is not very... It's not like even a wolf. It's just small, kind of slim and skinny looking. Doesn't weigh very much. Even if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Now that's the kind of criticism and opposition sometimes God, God's people mix uh, uh, or bring about and oppose when you're trying to do a work for God. I'm reminded one time uh, Dr. Connolly was teaching about this, and he said uh, the stone wall, when the Jews built this wall, and when the Irishman built his wall, he said the Irishman's wall, he made it three feet wide or three feet high, so if it's turned over, it's still just as high as it was at the beginning. So, if you make your wall as wide as it is high, it doesn't make any difference what they do to it. It's still going to be there. They can flip it over two or three times, and it'll still be there. But they made fun. Now, this sand ballot. Of course, he had his own religion, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind mixing it a little bit with, with the Jews, but 
He wanted to have it turned his way. We have a lot of folks that have their own religion and they want to mix Christianity with it just enough to kind of make it uh, acceptable everywhere. And boy, there's plenty of that. And they will not take their complete stand away from it. They want to kind of be mixed in with it together. Now then, in the midst of this opposition, notice in verse 4 what uh, Nehemiah says. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. You know, God has a way of turning things back. Things, what you, we've said, what comes around goes around. And uh, what goes around comes around, vice versa. So, uh, we know that what people sow, they're going to reap. And so, these folks are, had some things bad going to happen to them. In fact, it was Nehemiah's prayer that God would not prosper them in what they were doing to try to reproach his people. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. Let it backfire on them. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee, didn't say have provoked us to anger, they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You see, sometimes when opposition comes to uh, you and I as Christians, or to the church itself, it's not against us especially, it's against God. People don't just don't like the Lord. <laughs> just like in Moses' day, you know. When the people begin to murmur against Moses and Aaron, well, <clears throat> Moses says, you have not murmured against us. Your complaint is not against us, but it's against God. And that's where people really, they get irritated, but their irritation is with God. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, when Adam and Eve, and they had sinned. Well, uh, when Adam said, the woman that thou gavest me, he was not so much complaining about the woman as he was that God gave him that woman, and she's the one that caused this problem. She, he, was, they, he was actually blaming God. And, of course, uh, he, in a in roundabout way, was saying the woman brought the temptation. And the woman says, well, the devil made me do it, right? That's always her excuse. But, uh, regardless, uh, we, we cannot blame, blame God for things. And here we find that he knew how to handle it. So... It says, they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now, verse 6 says, so built we the wall. We went ahead and did it anyway. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. In this, the remainder of this chapter, among other things, I want you to see that they had a mind to work, and they had a heart to pray. They had an eye to watch. And they had courage to fight. We'll find that all in the, in the remainder of the chapter. People have to have a mind to work. No need to sit, sit down moping just because the enemy brings his uh, opposition and his wrath. I want you to notice another statement uh, when, we find in, when we read verse 7, uh, what the enemy thought. Let's read verse 7. We'll come back and talk some more about this. It came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians... And the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, the vacant places. Then were they very wroth. Now look back at verse uh, 1. He was wroth and took great indignation. And when the work was being accomplished, then what? 
They were very raw. You see, the more that God's people do, and the more that God blesses, and the more progress we make, it makes the devil more angry all the time. He just doesn't like it at all. And so, what do we do? We just keep on working, keep on praying, and keep on doing what God wants us to do. So, in verse 6, you find it says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. A mind to work. We could mope about our sad situation sometimes, but the mind to work will will uh, succeed if we'll keep on. And we'll find in a little bit that they prayed too. The opposition continued in verse 7 we just read. In verse 8 it says, And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. It was not just words. Now then they're going to put it into action. They're going to come and fight and try to hinder this work of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls that, of Jerusalem that were torn down. And they're going to put it in the form of battle. And in the midst of this kind of situation, what we do, we have not only a mind to work, but we have a heart to pray. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless... We made our prayer unto our God. We made our prayer unto our God. If you work and you pray, you know, the Bible says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. So what do you do? Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always I find that that is the answer to many of our problems. If we're abounding in the work of the Lord and we're steadfast in it, then the devil has very little to do with uh, trying to destroy what we're doing. But we have to be steadfast and we have to be about doing God's work. It says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They set a watch. They had an eye to watch. They were watching the interest of God. They were watching the interest of their God-given work. When you think they had a mind to work, the work we have to do takes full consecration of mind. We have to think about it and think properly. And it involves much exercise of body. It takes some strength to do God's work. We have to have physical strength. And it takes all the energies of the soul and spirit. It takes mental capacity and strength. We had in our Sunday school this morning that we need to be strengthened by His might, by His Spirit in the inner man. And it takes spiritual strength to keep on fighting the battle. And most of you that have been in the battle know that that's so. You know that it takes spiritual strength. If you don't have that spiritual strength, and then it, it takes complete dependence at the same time upon God. And so they were praying. You and I need to have complete dependence upon God because without God we cannot do the job. And so it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto, unto our God. Notice it's our prayer unto our God. And set a watch against them day and night because of them. We cannot slack up. It must be a day and night situation that we fight the battle. The Bible says that in His Word we meditate day and night. You know, the devil gets a hold of you sometimes of the evening and the night hours and discouragement sets in and problems set in and trials set in. It doesn't mean just it's limited to just the bright hours of the sunlight day. I mean, you have to battle with Satan on a round-the-clock basis. It's not just a hit-and-miss proposition. It's all the time. And things will happen that will cause disturbance. Family-wise, maybe your financial needs come up before you and swell up before you, or problems or trials or or uh, situations, that circumstances that I don't know anything about, only you and the Lord. Or maybe you don't know about mine either. 
But on the other hand, they come around, the, it's round the clock battle that we have with Satan. We have to learn how to fight that battle. And the best way to do it is have a mind to work, have a heart to pray, and be watchful about Satan's devices. He knows just how to do things. He knows just how to get to you, so to speak. He knows which button to push, doesn't he? And they set a watch. Now, watching the interest of God's work is a very important thing. Watching and praying are often linked together in the Bible, in the Scriptures. Watching and praying are linked together. If you turn to Matthew 26:41, let me give you this quickly. Matthew 26, verse 41. Remember, Jesus was in the garden. Let me just read down to verse 41. Let's read uh, verse 38. He says, Then saith he unto them, this is Jesus speaking, verse 38. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. We said watching and prayer are linked together. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We said watching and praying is joined together. Now then, turn to the book of First Peter, if you will, chapter 4 and verse 7. Remember who it was that said watch and pray? Jesus said that to Peter. Now then, 4 verse 7 of First Peter. When Peter writes his epistle... He says in verse 7, chapter 4, 1 Peter, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. I wonder where he got that lesson. He got it from the Lord. He knew that back there one time he was personally there and present. And he knew that he was told to watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. We find that it's joined together in other places. I could give you several places. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 18. Ephesians 6, verse 18. I know it tells about prayer here. It says, verse 18, he tells us, uh, first of all, in Ephesians 6, he tells us to put on the whole armor of God, and he says, last of all, that we just, uh, right before the context we're studying, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need God's Word. Then he says, and what? And uh, He says, praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching. Prayer and what? And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching and praying. And we need to be alert. When we, when we talk about watching, we mean to be alert and be ready and be prepared for anything that comes. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach Peter there in the garden. He says, watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. Consider the flesh. Consider the problem. Consider the battle we're in. And we need to watch. Now, verse 10, quickly. If you have uh, first, I mean, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish... Who mentioned this rubbish? Sanballat in verse 2. Will they revive the last part of verse 2? The stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned. See, when the enemy mentions something long enough, it finally gets into the congregation. When the devil says, you know, look at your situation. And he starts pointing fingers at it. Then so Judah, Judah, one of God's, one of the Jews, one of the... One of these people that were in the work and in the midst of it. And Judah said, the strength, 
The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. In other words, we have a hopeless situation. And there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. See, he took on that same tone. If the devil starts telling everyone around you that the church is bad and it's not any good and it's falling by the wayside and has all this kind of gossip, then finally it will get in. Don't let it get to you. Don't let it get to you. It's still here. God is still alive and well. The local church is still alive and well. His Word, God says to preach the Word. That's what we're all about. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to ask for God's blessings. We need to continue on. Keep on doing right, and it will win in the end. You just have to keep on doing right. And so Judah said, now look, this comes from within. We see, we have seen already the opposition from without. We pray God that it will not be from within. We don't want it from within. He says there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. That was the first thing. I used to build up here in Rio Dosa, And there was one fellow we'd work for out there in Country Club. Build nice, big, beautiful homes. And I can point out the particular one I have in mind now. And I mean, it's huge. And it was nice. And he had carpenters all over the place. I was cutting the rafters and handing them up there. And the carpenters were putting them together. And they were they had concrete workers all the way around and stone workers. And there were guys all over the place building this house. And the rubbish was about three foot high all the way around. You could not move a scaffold or anything. Instead of having some of those helpers to clean up some of the mess so we could move a ladder around the house or a scaffold or a sawhorse, no, we'll clean it up when it's over. When it's over, it's going to take you another month to build it if you keep stumbling over all the 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 boards and things that, that that are laying around there. So finally I talked them into getting one helper to go around and throw some of the junk out of the way so we could put a scaffold or a ladder around the house and do some work without crawling over the heaps of rubbish. So you have to get things in order. You need one guy to clean up once in a while. Now then, uh, in verse 11 it says, Now Judah continues to say, and he says, And our adversaries said, don't ever tell what the devil says. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither till see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. They're not going to know. We're going to come in. And don't repeat the devil's plans. Boy, you know, that's all he wants, is you to, is you to repeat what he's got in mind to destroy the work of God. Don't repeat it. And, and Judah was repeating it. He says, Our adversaries said. He's telling what they said. They said we're going to come in. And we're going to come in the midst of you, and you won't even know what happens. We're going to cause the work to cease. Now, verse 12, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times. <laughs> now, see, the whole business has got it going now. They said unto us ten times, From all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon us. You see, bad news is contagious. It's gossip is contagious. When you start talking about how bad things are, people are going to make it worse than that. So don't pay any attention to them. So, in, in verse 13, notice the word therefore. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and in the higher, on the higher places, I even set the people uh, after their families and with their swords and their spears and their bows. Nehemiah was smart enough to know that if such opposition was already at hand, then he's going to have to deal with it. Notice there's swords and there's spears and there's bows. They were willing to fight the battle. And he set people in places. He put them in proper places. 
And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. Get in the battle. They had courage to fight. What they had? They had a mind to work. They had a heart to pray. They had uh, an eye to watch. And they had courage to fight. Now, if you don't think you have a... The, to fight the good fight of faith. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He said in Second uh, Timothy, I believe it's chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You have to be a good soldier. We used to sing a song in the church, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. And when we're willing to get ourselves into the battle, and we don't want to minimize the fact that the Enemies of God's people are real. They're not fictitious. I mean, this wasn't fiction that Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites, were all coming in. They were trying to destroy this work that Nehemiah was called upon to do. Nehemiah had God's favor and God's blessings. He started out and the king gave him all that he needed. He gave him uh, leave from his work and he gave him timbers and he gave him the materials. And Nehemiah was determined to, to carry out the work. And he had the people. The people said, let us rise up and build the walls. And uh, they were willing to do it. But then what comes along? The enemy. And that happens every time. The enemy comes along and tries to destroy the things that God is doing. Notice what he says in verse 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught. Boy, they don't like that. That we returned, all of us, to, to the wall, every one unto his work. If every man will return to his place and get in his place, it will all work out on it. Every man unto his work. Just like in the church, we need every person, everyone to pray, everyone to work, everyone to invite someone to the house of God. We have faithful teachers and workers. And by the way, I should express my uh, appreciation for them more. They, they're wonderful to do the work they'll do. I have Every time I come across a problem like, uh, you know, uh, our song leading now when uh, uh, Brother <coughs> Curtis had to fill in on <coughs> excuse me Sunday mornings because Ron and Sharon gone. And then Brother Bill said the other day, says, I'll leave it tonight because Curtis is not here. I appreciate it. And the ones that are working in the financial work and in the Sunday school teachers and, and the, every part of the church. Because without those workers, we can't do anything. We need everyone to fill this place. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm not a teacher, and I'm not a Sunday school teacher, and I'm not a song leader. Yes, but every one of us can pray. And every one of us from time to time see someone we can invite to the house of God. And we can encourage others. The church is an edifying facility. It says all through that we're to edify one another. That means to build up, doesn't it? We don't want to be tires down. We don't want to tear down things. So when... Uh, these enemies, and God had brought their counsel to naught, verse 15, when they knew that, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone to his work. Now then, uh, it says in verse 16, And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows and havergons, and, and the rulers were behind uh, all the house of Judah. Everybody got in, involved, didn't they? They which built it on the wall, verse 17, and they that bear burdens and those that 
that laid it. Now here's another group. Everyone with one of his hands brought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. Look at that. Both hands are involved. One hand in the work and the other hand he held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Sword and the trowel. They had the trowel to put the bricks up and they had the sword to defend against the enemy. Great Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, had a little paper that he sent out on a weekly or I think it's a weekly basis. He had one he called the Daily, the, the Daily Penny, I think, or the Penny Daily or something like that. It was a daily thing. Then he had the sword and the trowel. And we need both. We need to build and we need to fight. You have to do both. And uh, that, that's what Nehemiah had. They had a will to sacrifice because if they had not been willing to sacrifice, and it takes a lot of uh, things. We'll see more sacrifices as we go along reading the rest of the chapter. I want you to notice some things before we progress any further. If you look at verse 13, you'll find the worker's position. Look at verse 13. Lower places and higher places and all the families. Verse 13. The position. Verse 14 the worker's privilege. Fight for your brethren. It's a privilege to do God's work for your sons and for your daughters and wives in your house. And then, verse 15, the worker's encouragement. God had brought all the counsel of the enemy to, to naught. That's encouraging when God fights for you, isn't it? And then we find the worker's weapons. Verse 17 and 18, the sword and the trial. We've already mentioned that. And verse 19 now, And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and the rest of the people, Look at this. The work is great and large. Sometimes we don't realize the importance of God's work. Nehemiah said the work is great and it's large. Not only a great work, but there's a lot to be done. And we are separated upon the wall one from another. So he says, the worker's warning then. In what place, and that's verse 20. In what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet? There was a trumpet of warning. Resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Sound the warning trumpet. Be ready. Be wholehearted in what you do. Be ready to fight. The work is great and large. While work, working and watching, they were to hold themselves in readiness for gathering together at any moment of time at the sounding of the trumpet. When the alarm sounds, are you and I ready to answer the call? We should be. Now then, we said that they had a will to sacrifice. Here's some more about sacrificing. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from what? Rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Pretty long day, wasn't it? Long hours. And this took a lot of self-denial. They practiced self-denial. You ever heard folks say, well, i got to work too long, too hard? We all have to work too long and too hard. But it's part of the job. And if we'll keep about it, God will bless it. They built the wall anyway, didn't they? It takes work. And then it goes on. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one of his servants lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us, and labor on the day. He says they have to watch at night and labor through the day. Some of you that win the service, you found that out, watching at night and laboring in the day. I was in the Navy and on an aircraft carrier, and uh, we had eight hours of watch and the rest in eight hours of work. That's a pretty long day. It didn't always happen that you had that many because what they did, if you had the the four to eight this morning, if I got up at three o'clock and you had four to eight this morning on watch, well then the day you would have eight till four in the afternoon because you'd have the same, you'd have four to eight in the evening, four to eight, four to eight. So you had four to eight 
and you had an eight-hour day, and at four o'clock you got off work, it would, ordinarily would be a little longer, and you started watching, you had four to eight of the evening. Then the next day it would change from eight to twelve. Then there's eight to twelve, so you got a little bit of break because your watch was a part of the day. Eight till twelve in the evening, see, from eight until twelve in the evening, well, you get up early and start to work at eight in the morning. I mean, uh, you'd start watching eight in the morning, have eight until twelve in the daytime the next day, so you only had to work from four, from uh, twelve till the evening work was over. Then from twelve to four, so every once in a while you'd have, uh, a eight hour watch and a four hour day, but sometimes it was a eight hour watch and a eight hour day at sixteen hours. Depending on when the time was. So it could go around and it went around that way all the time. I got to where I could lie down on the deck, a steel deck. And out there around Guam and Saipan, I mean, you could wring water out of your shirt when it was uh, in the... You put on a chambray shirt at, at 6 o'clock in the morning, take a shower and put on a chambray shirt, fresh and clean. And by 8 or 9 o'clock, you could just wring water out of it. Literally wring water out of it. Well, that's that's something else. You learn to sleep on that cool deck of that ship. You uh, you know it wasn't out in the sun, and on on the inside of the ship, the, that steel deck was kind of cool. You could lay down anywhere and go to sleep if you ever had any time off. But anyway, you have to put yourself to the task. And here it says that they may be on guard to us and labor one in the night. Be on guard. That's verse twenty-two. And labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren. Look at this. Nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. They had a constant job. They had to stay clean in between times. And the rest of it was work and sacrifice. So I think we find the workers' devotion in verse 21. They were devoted to the work. Lest you and I be, as, be at least a percentage concerned or half as concerned about the things and the work of the church as Nehemiah and those people were about building that wall. And if we can muster up that kind of concern, we'll, uh, every one of us be busy doing God's work and uh, not com- we won't complain about it. We'll just go ahead and do it. And God will bless it. So we need to have a mind to work. We need to have a heart to pray. By the way, without the prayer, the work is just all of ourselves, all of ourselves. We have to have a mind to work, and we need a heart to pray, and we need uh, to set a watch, be alert about God's work, and we need to have uh, a will to sacrifice, courage to fight, and all of this will work together for what we need to do as Christians in the church. Well, we thank you for your patience, your kind attention. We'll pick up with the... uh, the uh, fifth chapter in our next lesson. That will be Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. There's some very interesting things in the future in this uh, study, so I would encourage you to try to get in on each lesson as we progress along.